Welcome to Malpractice Insider, a patient safety podcast of case studies from the Harvard Medical System, from CRICO, the insurance program for all of the Harvard Medical Institutions and their affiliates, bringing a data-driven approach to reducing medical error through clinical analysis of malpractice claim. This case began when a 30-year-old patient arrived at the hospital at 1 p.m. in labor for her second full-term delivery at 39.2 weeks. Her history included premature labor and cesarean delivery, but her prenatal course during this pregnancy had been unremarkable. The patient was counseled and consented for a trial of labor after cesarean. She was connected to an external fetal monitor, and her labor progressed. At 11 p.m., recurrent late decelerations were noted in the fetal tracing and then returned to baseline for a short period. Two and a half hours later, the patient had significant vomiting, and a new series of decelerations were noted. Under such circumstances, hospital policy called for the team to stop the Pitocin, initiate oxygen and resuscitation with intravenous fluids, and request the obstetrician's presence at the bedside. However, the obstetrician was in the operating room with another case. A second OR team was not available. The covering family practice physician did not have OR privileges, and the nurse caring for this patient did not begin the protocol. When the OB completed her other case an hour later, she arrived to examine the patient and immediately intervened. Delivery of the infant via vacuum assist was complicated by shoulder dystocia. The infant was born with poor APGARS and was cyanotic with low muscle tone. Resuscitation efforts were initiated. The mother suffered a partial uterine rupture that had to be surgically repaired. The infant had a severe neurological injury. At the family's request, supportive care was withdrawn, and he died. The parents sued the hospital, the OB, and the nurse, alleging that the obstetrics team failed to recognize, identify, and respond to the uterine rupture, resulting in their baby's death. The case was settled in excess of a million dollars. Joining us now to discuss the risk management and patient safety aspects of this case is Dr. Thomas Beatty. Dr. Beatty is an obstetrician and the chair of the Department of Obstetrics and Gynecology at Newton Wellesley Hospital near Boston. Tom, thank you for joining us. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you for asking me. We, we see early in the case there were some adverse circumstances that the team faced that sort of left them unprepared for the complications they were up against. Um, what jumps out at you right away? Yes, yeah, so, so the, the first, you know, first aspect of the case I think of is this patient has a risk factor. Uh, as we know, she had a prior cesarean delivery. It's been her, uh, consented for a trial of labor and is admitted in labor. Uh, so in labor, the patient was doing well. And then around 11 p.m., there were noted to be some late decelerations on the uh, fetal heart rate tracing that were that were recurrent. Uh, so this, I think, should prompt the team to think about uh, several aspects of the case. Uh, first is it's 11 o'clock at night. Now, we're going on to the night shift, and in most hospitals, there's a shift change that's going to take place. And so, you know, we have to always think about that handoff from one shift to the next. Uh, the second is that the patient has a risk factor of a prior cesarean delivery. And we know from, you know, from best practice, it also is specified in the CRICO guidelines that when there's a patient with a prior cesarean delivery in active labor, that a physician should, who has credentials to perform an emergent cesarean delivery should immediately available throughout active labor. 
so we all work in environments where we typically have more than one patient in labor. Uh, but at this point, with a, a patient who has a plenty of tolac in active labor, uh, with some, you know, let's say, changes in the fetal heart rate tracing that can be concerning, uh, the team should formulate a good plan for how the patient is going to be either managed uh, if an early intervention is required or a plan for continuing close uh, observation and evaluation of the patient. Uh, we also know from later on that the, the obstetrician caring for the patient was in the OR taking care of a second patient at this point uh, around this time. And so the I think the most effective practice would have been a huddle, uh, knowing that there was also another patient who might need care of the team to look at resources and discuss what resources do we have available, both in terms of operating room space, uh, obstetricians, uh, other physicians, nursing care, anesthesiologists, uh, you know, pediatricians or newborn physician, if we need it, uh, knowing that this patient now has both the risk factor of the prior cesarean delivery and some you know, some concerning aspects of the fetal heart rate tracing that at least need careful observation uh, as her labor proceeds. The hospital did have a, a policy and a protocol to alert the OB and to intervene, uh, particularly when you looked at the second series of decelerations. Um, so... What do you think happened there? So, so we know. Yeah, I think we know that the around one thirty a.m. the patient had a new episodes of fetal heart rate decelerations, uh, and when those decelerations happens, you know, standard policy on it on an obstetrical unit are to discontinue oxytocin if it's running. Uh, you know, perform some intrauterine resuscitation with position change, uh, intravenous fluids, and also requesting a physician assessment at the bedside. You know, that policy wasn't followed. You know, we know the obstetrician was in the another operating room with another case, uh, and that there was a covering physician, and fa a family medicine physician with obstetrical privileges, but who was not credentialed to perform a cesarean delivery. Still, even that second uh, physician could have been called to perform a bedside evaluation and then communicate directly with the obstetrician who is in the other OR. You know, the team's functioning broke down in terms of not only following their policy, but providing what we consider the best and safest care for the patient. Okay. And can, can we surmise that this facility might have had some issues connected to sort of a patient safety culture, considering the hesitation to follow the protocol or to ensure that the uh, covering physician was adequately prepared? Well, yes, I think, the, I think the case would certainly indicate some concern about the safety culture at the hospital. You know, if we, you know, if we step back again and say, well, what would best practice it be? It would, it would have been that initial huddle around the change of shift around 11 p.m., uh, to meet with the team together uh, to formulate a plan uh, to evaluate what resources do we have uh, 
and if there are problems, what are our next steps? But also use that time to make sure that every team member knows that you know that if there anyone has a concern, they should feel safe and they should speak up and elevate that concern uh, so that the patient can get the best care. So, so in summary, uh, I'd like to highlight two points uh, on a system level. The first is the importance of a systems approach. Uh, to making plans for appropriate coverage when when an obstetrician or a physician is unavailable, such as in the OR in this case, and evaluating what resources are and are not available and what contingency plans are based on the acuity of the patient. And the second system issue is the importance of a strong culture of safety within an obstetrical unit and the importance of communication among all team members. Well, thank you. Dr. Thomas Beatty is an obstetrician and the chair of the Department of Obstetrics and Gynecology at Newton Wellesley Hospital. I'm Tom Agello. Thank you for listening to Malpractice Insider, a podcast of case studies from Crico in the Harvard Medical System. Find all of our podcasts at www.rmf.harvard.edu slash podcasts and subscribe. Find us wherever you get your podcasts and then rate and review the show to help others find it too.